Folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. There's always one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today's Wednesday, December the 8th, 2021. It ain't going to be much longer, and it won't be 2021. It's going to be 2022. How crazy is that? Anyway, today is Wednesday. As per usual, it is an interview day. We have uh, Dr. Jason Pafley on with us, and we are going to be talking about fixing medicine with direct primary care. And, and what I mean by fixing medicine is not making all the problems go away. I don't think anything with as many problems in it that we have, uh, like we currently have in, in medicine, can be made to 100% go away. But I think we can solve a lot of problems with what we're going to talk about today. If, you, if you've ever wondered or heard the term direct primary care and wondered, what, what, does, what does that actually mean? It means a direct relationship with uh, your doctor, your primary care physician, without any insurance companies, without any government interference, other than you know licensing and stuff like that for the physician. It means that about 80 to 85% of your, your health care costs are paid out of pocket and are very affordable because you're paying a cash price. It's not a replacement for insurance. What it allows you to do is select a much higher deductible, more of a catastrophic-type plan, what's left of that anyway, and pay less money every month for your medical care and your medical coverage and get better care and have a good relationship with a doctor. This is a really interesting discussion. I'll have Jason on in just a minute. This was done by Live Feed, so we did take questions from the Live Feed audience uh, as well uh, at the end of today, so that I think that made it a lot more interactive and useful. Before we do, let's hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day, number one today, is ButcherBox. You know, I'll tell you one way you can improve the, the cost of health care is to not need it as much. And for me, that's been very carnivorous. Being very carnivorous in my diet, doing all the things the government says I'm not supposed to do, made took me from fat and lazy to, to healthy and full of energy and, and weighing about 80 pounds less. Uh, and, and ButcherBox has been a big part of that because I get grass-fed beef, I get pastured pork and I get pastured poultry delivered directly to my front gate every month. Big old box full of meat shows up, and I just go out and get it, throw it in the freezer, take it out and eat it. We're going to be eating a, uh, I believe Dorothy has a tri-tip out tonight from uh, ButcherBox. I'm going to tell you something, too, you guys that use ButcherBox. That's the sleeper cut of meat is in, in, in ButcherBox when you're selecting your steaks and all. Man, I love me some, I love me some ribeyes and some strip steaks, but the piece of meat, that they sell, there's two of them, is a sirloin end cap they have sometimes, and another one uh, is a tri-tip, also known as picanha. Those big, thick, heavy hunks of meat and sous vide were made to go together. That's what I'm going to be doing with uh, this this uh, this tri-tip tonight. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cook it at about 137 degrees, like compromised temperature with Dorothy, for about two and a half hours, and it's going to be glorious. It's going to be absolutely glorious. I'm going to hit it with, uh, as soon as I get this this uh, podcast out today, I'm going to go hit it with some of the Redmond salt, let it uh, dry brine for about an hour, hit it with some other seasonings, get it in the uh, vac sealer, and get it in there and let it roll. And it is, I'm just, I know I'm rambling, but it's delicious. And Butcher Box, guys, that's 
one of the things to do is is, is hammer those thicker cuts. Um, I think they have more flavor than a lot of your other cuts, too, those bigger, you know, like not full-on working muscles where it's tough, but a little bit more work getting done develops a little more flavor. Next up today, you know, making good financial decisions is important. We're going to be talking about that today from a medical standpoint. But how you manage your wealth and build your wealth is important as well. So you want to check out John Pugliano's Wealthsteading podcast at Wealthsteading.com. John's an awesome guy. He's been a member of the Expert Council for a very long time here. Um, he's the kind of guy that you can trust from his advice and from his services. Uh, check him out today. You, I mean, it's free to listen. Get on his email updates. Everything he said has ended up being pretty damn accurate in the world of finance. Uh, it's, it, he's the kind of financial advisor that you really should be talking to, an investment manager, uh, not um, a relationship salesman that works for Amex or something like that. That's why I call those people financial liars. Check them out today at wealthsteading.com and listen to the Wealthsteading podcast. All right, and we are live on YouTube, folks. Um, I want to uh, welcome our guest today, uh, Dr. Jace, Jason Paffley. And we're going to be talking about direct primary care. Uh, Dr. Pathley reached out to me about this because I talk about problems in the medical system so often, specifically with uh, cost of care, um, health insurance, uh, having health insurance that covers almost nothing and costs me basically an arm and a leg a year and some other things. And so we're going to dig into that. Before we do, though, uh, Jason, if you would for us, tell us a little bit about your background. Like, Take us back to like High school, were you one of those kids that grew up and always wanted to be a doctor, or did something lead you in that direction? <laughs> yeah, well, hey, Jack, thank you so much for having me on. I've been listening to you for eight years. and uh, Thanks for that. The opportunity to come on here and uh, talk to your community about something that I'm passionate about, is it's a big thrill for me. So thank you very much. And to answer your question, no, when I was a young kid, I definitely, I never thought of myself as being a doctor. I've been mechanical since I was a little kid, and so I, I grew up on a farm in eastern Colorado, playing with bugs and learning how to garden with my grandparents and uh, building stuff, basically. So when I ended up getting older, I chose mechanical engineering as my first career. So medicine is actually my second career. Uh, I was an engineer for 10 years, um, did engineering in all kinds of different formats for those years. And I guess... Uh, well, I, I guess I'm also a prepper. I, I, it's from the very beginning, I guess, for lack of a better word, prepper, I guess, from the very beginning, it's been sort of an inclination for me. But uh, in 2005, when I when I had kids, it's really what kicked me in the butt to realize, wow, the systems around us are fragile. They're overly complex. And uh, I really need to harden my life a bit against some of these things as much as I can. So I guess since 2005 is I've really been working at it, uh, and that's really what led me to your podcast. There was a period of time where I was driving an hour each way going to medical school from my house in in the mountains of Colorado, where I had started a bit of a homestead there, and uh, I ended up you, your podcast became my go-to show for that hour as I was driving. That's awesome. Was there anything specific that like pushed you to apply to and go to medical school, like? Uh, I just learned this about Doc Bones a couple of years ago. We were on vacation together, and he said that he had been accepted to two really prestigious law schools. And he's driving wow. down the road a couple of days before he was supposed to, to go, and he saw a billboard for a law firm in Miami. And it was really kind of obviously like a sleazy-type 
industry in some ways. And he just decided, well, if I don't want to be a lawyer, maybe I should be a doctor. Like that was kind (laughs) of crazy when he told me that, you know, and, uh, what, what, what made you decide I'm going to leave something like engineering, which has plenty of opportunity, right? Absolutely. and And go through the hell that it takes to become a doctor. The time, the money, the commitment is huge. Yeah, it's true. I, I, uh, my family thought I lost my mind, to be honest, when I was leaving engineering. And uh, there were a lot of reasons. I, I guess one thing I would point out is that engineering and medicine, there is a ton of overlap. And a lot of the folks that I met in medical school and that I've met since the since coming into the medical world were formerly engineers. There's a lot of overlap there. Um, and, and I guess in the bigger picture, when I what really made me decide to pull the trigger was I wanted to do something that the world really needed. And at the time when I was, you know, I, I changed careers when I was 30, uh, that I only had a vague understanding of what that was. And I did not feel like I was spending my heartbeats as a 30 year old engineer doing something that the world needed. I was uh, making a lot of money for other people and not really improving the quality of life for a lot of people. And so Medicine seemed like an option to do that. I also was really very much into the, uh, I guess, the preparedness mindset back then and uh, the thought of building another skill set that really the world needed, no matter what happened, was pretty attractive to me. And um, again, I met quite a few people in medical trading that had a similar mindset. And so, you know, you ended up a doctor. And you moved into the world of, uh, of being a doctor. I mean, I'm, when you, you have to do your residency, you have to go through all that. So you're in that conventional world. And, then, so. yeah. and then you decide you're going to set up something called a, a direct primary care clinic. And I know from your email to me, you actually left Colorado and went to Florida to do this. I'm guessing because it's easier there, uh, logistically well, or was it other reasons? There's a number of reasons why I moved from Florida or from Colorado to Florida. A, a big one of those has nothing to do with medicine, which I, I will answer your question about medicine as well. But uh, yeah. the, one of the biggest reasons is the climate. I, I was trying to homestead for 15 years in Colorado, trying to grow my own food in the high desert of Colorado. And, it, you know, I built a really neat place there. But the biggest thing I learned is that growing your own food is hard and growing your own food in the high desert of Colorado is very hard. You get hot and dry or cold and dry there. And that was about it. And so for years, Florida has been pretty attractive to me for that reason. I also definitely was more attracted to the political climate here in, in Florida um, and just general way of life. And it is easier to start a business here in Florida. I, I think, you know, I, I did run a small engineering business in Colorado Um Engineering and, and medicine are similar in content, but very, very different in how many licenses you need. And so I guess it's hard for me to compare. But the move, the move to Florida, you know, there were a lot of reasons for it. I'm quite happy that I did it. Uh, I, of course, miss Colorado and miss everything that I built out there. But in terms of medicine, I think this is the right place to be. Gotcha. So you decided to set up this uh, direct primary care uh, practice. How does that differ from a government approach or an insurance approach? Absolutely. So 
so I've been in the medical world for quite a few years at this point. And all of those years, I started out after residency in the corporate world. Starting a business, as you know, is intimidating. Start a bit, starting a business in medicine is very intimidating. And so it took me a few years to get my mind around that. I have been a- attracted to this concept of direct primary care since medical school, which was the first place I encountered it, and been learning it and researching about it. But while I was doing that, I, I was a, I was a hospitalist for a large corporation. I covered rural emergency rooms. Uh, for a large corporation. I covered an urgent care. I did primary care in a clinic-based setting for a large corporation. You know, I, I really saw the the shortcomings of corporate medicine in that environment, just working that way. There's so much pressure to do things that have nothing to do with the good of the patient. They have everything to do with the profit of the business. That's what businesses do. So if you're going to have a health, a large health care corporation, you know, that's the pressure that you're going to get. Direct primary care is is a very different way, uh, fundamentally different way of delivering primary care. Uh, when done properly, I, I guarantee you it, it will save money for most of us. When paired with a high deductible or catastrophic plan, sometimes people refer to it, and then direct primary care, it will save most of us money over the current insurance-based system. So how does it differ there's so much to talk about in direct primary care, but I guess let me start out at a high level and then sort of narrow down to some some specific points. Uh, and, and I guess let me provide a little bit of motivation here. The reason, Jack, why I think that direct primary care makes sense to the TSP community is, is that it's... Uh, so direct primary care will provide a a kind of doctor or healthcare experience that people actually want to engage in. I think most of us have been trying, you know, we, our, our plan has been trying to avoid going to the doctor. Uh, you know, I'm healthy. I don't need to go to the doctor. So I, it's just such a headache when I do. And uh, my plan is really just to hope for the best. And I think the TSP community, well, I know the TSP community, that really, that doesn't work for people who whose goal is lifestyle design. Hoping for the best is not a plan. So I guess that's really what attracted me to primary care in the first place. Primary care is the branch of medicine that is focused on preventative medicine. It's the branch of medicine focused on keeping you out of the urgent care, keeping you out of the emergency room, keeping you out of the hospital and keeping you doing your business. So for for those of us that are focused on independence and liberty and uh, using lifestyle design to maintain those aspects of our life, Primary care is the way to go, and direct primary care is a market-based approach to make that happen. So under direct primary care, it's a monthly membership cash-based system like a gym membership where for a really quite small fee on a monthly basis, patients will pay their doctor essentially for access to the doctor 24-7. So my, my patients have my cell phone number, basically. It's through an app, but they have my cell phone number. So 24-7, they can reach me through uh, messaging, uh, text messaging, email, phone call if necessary. We can do telemedicine. Uh, access in that if you call in the morning, I can get you same-day appointments. I can get you next-day appointments. This is something that doesn't happen in traditional 
medicine. I mean, it's just not something that any of us have really dealt with. The way that that works from a business perspective is that if I have this monthly membership set up, it allows me to have a, very, a much smaller patient panel. Whereas before I had to have, you know, in the corporate world, I would have to have 2,000, 3,000, 5,000 patients on my patient roster in order to keep the lights on, basically, and cover all of the expenses that the corporation has. As a direct primary care doctor, I can have a patient panel of 400 people, 500 people. And really, that, that allows me to just have plenty of time with any given patient to really sit and get to know that person, get to know their full medical history, their medical needs, what makes that person tick, what their goals are in coming to me in, in seeking medical care. So from that perspective, I just I can form a much better relationship and a much better understanding of this person. It'll allow me to have a whole lot more time to put thought into doing medicine for these people. I can read the literature. I can stay up on the on the most recent medical developments that I can then bring back into the clinic and and provide for your medical care. It's and all of that while providing this while saving people money and giving them the best medical care that they've had. And, and let me be clear, D direct primary care or DPC, we, we talk about it. It's not my invention. It, this is a model that has been taken off throughout the country. Um, it's actually called. I've already had several field. people when I announced this interview say they're already doing it in their place and they love it. That it isn't that. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? It, I've run into a lot of folks that way, too, where it sort of leads off. The, the, the conversation is more about permaculture or something like this. And then they say, oh, what are you doing? And I say, well, I'm starting a direct primary care practice. I'm already doing that. It's great to hear, and it's it's definitely something that's relevant to this this mindset. Well, yeah. and as an engineer, you've got to appreciate the concept of seeing a system and then adapting that system to a different system in the same way uh, with modification. So if you look at the content creator model, where it started out with musicians, podcasters mm -hmm. certainly use it, uh, the thousand true fans model. If you have a thousand people that will do business with you, and spend one day's wages a year with you, you have a, an income that's equivalent to three median salaries. And that's a great, that's a great living. It really is. Sure, um, sure, yeah. Now you're charging more than I would for a membership, obviously, because you have to actually do a lot more work with a member where all I have to do is let a computer send them something. Um, but it is, you know, the same model and you're in, you know, that, that three to 500 patient roster. And and then you can earn, you know, a doctor's living with three to five hundred patients, which makes perfect sense. They're, 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 you got to realize how well, I'm sure you realize, but I'm saying to the audience, the audience needs to realize how screwed up is it that a doctor providing primary care to five hundred people can't make a living in the conventional system? And and, and Doctor Barry not, not really. Yeah. Dr. Barry really did a deep dive into it um, at the workshop here. And for those that haven't seen those videos in the workshop, they should check them out where he was talking about the different categories of billing based on how many prescriptions or how many things a patient was treated for. And a doctor spending the same amount of time in the room, but being able to bill three or four times as much money against insurance or against Medicaid because they put the patient on more drugs. So sure. when people say yeah. things like, cause I, I I've talked, I had this discussion and I knew it was, I didn't have a really good way to articulate how it was done, but like, well, the doctor doesn't make money because you're on four drugs, uh, cause they don't get the drug money, right? You don't buy your drugs from your doctor. 
And, and the way Ken explained it, I'm like, now I got that arrow, right? I can answer that question now. It's ridiculous. And what Ken said was that as a doctor, if you run a practice that way, you have to do it that way or you're going to go bankrupt, right? You want to send your kids to school. You want to have a nice car. You want to live the life that you're entitled to as someone that's gone through the hell that it takes to be a doctor. Well, if you stay in their system, you have to do it that way. You don't really have an economic uh, uh, other choice. Like people say, well, like if you're if you're a good guy, you wouldn't do it. Well, if you close the door, then you can't help anybody. You know, I'll admit it's uh, I, I there are a lot of people in medicine who start out and they do feel trapped because of exactly what you just said. If you don't, it really is a game. If you're if you look at all of the rules that insurance company have that insurance companies have that I have have I have to adhere to. Basically, the hoops I have to jump through to make them happy, the hoops I have to jump through to make the government happy. It ends up being a game where you spend a lot of your day as a doctor trying to trying to do good medicine and mostly bending your recommendations about around all of those requirements and figuring out how you're going to code it and squeeze the most you can out of the insurance company for the amount of work that you've done. You spend so much of your time playing that game that, I mean, as a patient, looking back in time before I was a doctor, as a patient, it just makes me mad to think about how much I was spending and how frustrated I was when I took my daughter in to have you know, medical care. I got four minutes with the doctor for a 15 minute visit. They're out of the room. And, you know, now I know what was going on. It was just massaging the system, trying to get as much as well, they like you said, people don't want to go because it's, you, you spend five minutes with a doctor on a 15 minute total visit, but you're in the waiting room for an hour and a half. And you waited right? three months to get the appointment. Yeah. Like, you yeah. know, if you, or you get sick and you know, it's something that's probably going to pass in, in, in uh, you know, five, six days, but maybe you want a prescription for something. And you're like, you know, I need to come to the doctor. It's Wednesday. I'll get you in Tuesday. Well, right. you know, either the it's problem is going to be rectified by Tuesday or I'm going to be in the hospital. I'm not sure which one it's going to be, you know, uh, and most likely it's going to, it's going to resolve itself. But if, if I'm using, use my doctor and I would like, you know, to treat a symptom of a, a short duration illness, seeing you five days later doesn't really help me at all, does it? It doesn't. No, it doesn't. So again, that leads perfectly into why direct primary care is the thing that I'm doing. So if you're my patient, Jack, and you've got, you've got something going on, or I, I know from you mentioning it on the air when you and Dorothy got COVID, you know, I know the hoops that you had to jump through that whole process sounded very frustrating. If you had been my, my patient at that time, I mean, I would have seen you on day one for COVID and we would have had the conversation about what dehydration is and here's your risks and here's what we need to do. This is an upper respiratory infection. Basically, here's how we're going to avoid the problems that come from those. On day three, I'd have been checking in with you by text. You know, you don't have to come in. We would have been checking in and probably have staved off any dehydration. But if it did happen, you know, it happens sometimes. Yeah. I, as a direct primary care doctor, would have been, would be embarrassed if one of my patients had to had to pay for an IV service and have somebody come to their home, or yeah, I would be embarrassed you know, if they end up in the ER. To, to be fair to the doctor that saw Dorothy, Dorothy didn't express any concerns over that. She just got tested. They did see her the same day, and they did Good. prescribe a. Uh, they actually gave her a, a steroid injection, which immediately corrected the inflammation, but. And I didn't realize she hadn't been drinking. I didn't realize how bad the sore throat was. So I didn't know. And then all of a sudden I'm, I'm looking at her. She's talking about being dizzy, but not dizzy. And I'm like, Oh, this is dehydration. And 
you know, we, we instantly reached out to that hydration company and in some ways it is a similar solution to what you're offering in that we had that direct relationship. We wrote them a check. They came out and did it. They were at our house and 45 minutes from the time we called them. And if we had taken her to an ER, the first thing we would have dealt with was, uh, fluids are not a treatment for COVID. And I know people who have been through that with COVID, with dehydration, it's a common problem. And I know that it's not, but it's, it's a treatment for dehydration, right? And like being dehydrated and having COVID doesn't negate the dehydration. It's, it's insane. I had an EMT. It was EMT, EMT or a paramedic that got dehydrated. Same situation. And he had yeah. to go to the ER. He worked out of three times before they finally gave him fluids, which is a very simple solution to a problem that can become extremely dangerous very quickly. And, and I personally think that some of the people that end up in the hospital with, with COVID are there because they're dehydrated and they're not treated early on for it. And, and they have things like, you know, bad swelling in the throat or something is easily treated with, with, with steroids and they won't do it because there's protocols they have to follow. And I'm guessing you are not as roped into those protocols because you're not billing insurance. I'm not billing insurance and I'm not associated with a large hospital corporation, basically. I, I would say probably that those folks that you that you mentioned that had troubles in the ER getting what they knew they needed had a lot to do with the hospital policies or the corporation policies, check boxes that had to be checked before a certain before a certain medication was allowed. I mean, I as a doctor, even in the ER, I can order whatever I think is appropriate. And I'm, I'm ordering those things under my license. But if I want to keep my job with this corporation, I'm going to follow their rules. And that's really that's really where a lot of that that nonsense comes from that and checking all the boxes for the insurance company. So me as a doctor, I am not in my own clinic, in my own practice. I'm not really beholden to any of that. And by by not accepting insurance, by not accepting uh, public insurance, which is Medicare, Medicaid, I also check out of a lot of a lot of the federal rules, corporate. I'm not federal, not corporate federal rules that, you know, they really do cause a lot of frustration for doctors and patients in general. So that is something I won't be dealing with. And you as a patient won't be dealing with it in a direct primary care practice. So how how does it actually save a person money? Because I think most people are still going to have insurance because if I get hit by a tractor trailer and end up with a yield sign on my spleen, I don't want to go bankrupt. That's exactly right. Um, and now and I'm having another expense, right, in, in a monthly membership. Uh, and somebody like me might call you twice a year. I'm a good patient for you, right? Because you don't, you don't have to do a lot for me, but, um, well, I guess what I would try to encourage you, Jack, as a guy who, again, you value your independence, you value your liberty. I would say I'm trying to provide something where you would actually want to engage, gotcha. not come see me very frequently. I know it's a pain in the butt to come see me. But if you're able to text and say, hey, I just had this thought while I was out, you know, feeding the ducks yeah. or whatnot. What do you think about this? What do you think about it? And I, I can respond. It, it would be a more of an open communication. That's really the value that I, that this that this idea adds. It cha- I'm trying to change people's minds as to what having a doctor means, basically. Gotcha. Well, let's talk a little bit so, about the cost savings, though. So, yeah, okay. So how does it how does it financially make sense? Well, I'll use myself as, as an example. I left I left corporate medicine where I was uh, insured. I started my own business, and I have to have my own health insurance. I've got to cover myself and two kids. Okay, so. 
when I left that corporate world, I started looking for insurance options. I looked at the government health, healthcare.gov, trying to see what they had. I shopped around and what I found was for traditional insurance that the, that the government would call insurance, I would have to pay for me a healthy 44 year old and two kids about 980 to over a thousand dollars a month for insurance. Okay. That covers everything. What I ended up doing, because I'm in this world and I'm starting my own direct primary care practice, is not that. So for just over $500 a month, $530 a month, I think, I, I have a catastrophic plan. that It's a high deductible plan that covers me and two kids that I pretty much just forget about. It would cover me if I had to go to the ER and have a stop sign removed from my spleen. It, I mean, if I have to be admitted to the hospital, it's going to cover me or my kids for that. And then on top of that, I pay, uh, I pay $120 for a membership for me and two kids at a direct primary care practice a month. So you can see the savings right there just for me. That's, that's a few hundred dollars a month that I'm saving. I pay $980 a month for insurance that I don't want to use because the deductible was too high to engage with a doctor who's going to spend four and a half minutes with me and not be able to really solve my problem because they're so constrained. So it's not, it's not healthcare that I want, but I'm still paying a lot of money. Or I pay $500 for a catastrophic plan that I forget about and $120 to have real medical care. 85% of my medical needs are covered for me and my kids with that direct primary care plan. I have care that I want to engage in that I can, you know, I can text the doctor uh, or call them and just say, hey, I need a prescription. Or, you know, when I was a kid, not a kid, when I had my kids, I was not in medicine at that time, and I, I was maybe a little bit more clueless than I should have been at that age, having kids about medicine in general. And there were a bunch of times where my kid got sick with something, and I didn't know what it was, and I didn't know how serious it was, and ended up taking them in and feeling like a real fool for spending a couple hundred dollars afterwards for you know nothing, uh, or waiting and just being real nervous that whole time as to whether or not I was forgetting or ignoring something with my kids. It, that, that just, that goes away. This is, this is medical you know, that's, care. That's actually a really good point. I think those of us who are parents or work, you know, I'm, I'm a parent of an adult now. He'd take his own damn ass to the doctor, but <laughs> you know, that when you got a kid or two, you spend a lot more time dealing with medical issues than you do as a healthy, you know, adult on with a healthy lifestyle. Um, and so you end up in these situations, like you're saying, where like the kid has an issue, but do I need to go to the doctor or not? In I, I would imagine in your practice, the first thing I would do is get in touch with you and say, do you think I need to bring them in? And you, you might even do kind of like a telemedicine consultation on something. If you think, you know, you know what, he could use a, a simple prescription or something like that. I don't even, you know, you might be able to do that without me even coming in then. You know, and, and I've had doctors do stuff like that, but it's, you know, it's, it's pulling hard to get them to do it. You know, like, why do I need to come in and let you bill me 300 bucks when we both know that you're going to prescribe a basic antibiotic for this bacterial infection or what have you? Like, we know that's what it is. We both agree that's what it is. Why are we doing this other than so I can give you some more money? And, well, and like I'll, I said, I'll tell you for me what it, what it used to be when I was in that on the other side of that was I would get a call from somebody that I had seen eight months ago and barely knew. And they'd be saying, Hey, I need this thing. Last time we used azithromycin. We did a Z pack for this last time. Can I just have it? And I'd say, man, I don't even remember those people. I don't know them well. 
this is a, you know, I probably need to look a bit more into this. Why don't we have them come in and I'll take a look? Well, of course, the scheduler then says, well, you can't have them come in because you're booked out for two weeks. Uh, okay, so that, there's the problem. Under direct primary care, I've already met with you. I, I spent an hour with you or your kid the very first meeting. I know you well. I know them well. I know that they've had this happen a couple of times. And I know what worked last time. Yeah, absolutely. On my phone with my app, I send in the prescription to your pharmacy and it's done. Or, That's wonderful. That's, yeah. or if it's in the middle of the day, if it's in the middle of the day, I here in the state of Florida, I can be my own pharmacy. So I am my own pharmacy. I have the medicines here oh. in my clinic. So if I say I think you need a Z-Pack, I'm not really necessarily even going to send you in a prescription unless you want it. You can have it. You could come here and pay wholesale prices for that Z-Pack. You'll save money again, beyond going to the pharmacy. No, that's great. That's really great. Why do you feel this is a liberty topic and a topic of independence? I, I guess I started out, I kind of jumped the gun there. I started out talking a bit about that at the beginning, where I, I, I just said, you know, I, having done this myself, lived this life myself, I know that a lot of us just detest going to the doctor and interacting with healthcare in general because it's just such a pain and it's so expensive. And so, like I said, our, our plan ends up being I'm healthy. I'm getting away with it. I'm just going to hope for the best and let it be. I know a lot of people do that because a lot of them come and tell me that. And like I said, for, for an independence minded person, a person who values your independence, who values being able to get up every day and go about your business and go about your you know permaculture and doing what you do with your daily life that drives you. You need to invest in, we all need to invest in our most valuable asset that keeps us doing that. And that is our health, our body. And so, I mean, that, that's the plan. You, as a person who, who values lifestyle design in order to make those things happen, direct primary care is a perfect tool that you can use to include in that. It's a perfect option. And I, I guess at the end of the day, preventative care is way, way better than and, and the peace of mind that comes with preventative care is way better than than I'm hoping for the best. And we're just going to see what happens. Gotcha. How does a, uh, a person get uh, imaging labs? You know, meds paid for, if not with insurance. I mean, for, for you know, for me recently, I had a. Uh, pretty nasty tear to my Achilles tendon. And, you know, it was like, I, I really think I should have imaging done to make sure that it's not something that's going to require surgery. And, of course, I took a trip to the doctor so the doctor could look at it and go, yeah, it hurts, because I, I can't see anything, right? You can't you can't really tell. If you could tell, you wouldn't need imaging. Uh, but that required a trip to the doctor and the time to do that and all. And it would have been like, you know, I go put my foot in a, in a, in a, a MRI or a CAT scan for a while. It ended up, I ended up not doing it. Um, but you know, it was something that we thought maybe I would have to, and it was a rigmarole. And you know, it's like, well, you know, you need to do this for your insurance. I'm like, well, my freaking insurance is going to cost me more to use my insurance for it than to just pay for it anyway. And if I had gone, I was going to pay the cash price instead of like with my insurance, it was going to be over a thousand bucks. And by paying the cash price, it was going to be $400. So, like, I'm That's sure it. you're leveraging that same type of situation. Like, sometimes you just pay less by paying for it. That's it. It sounds to me like you've already discovered that those imaging centers have a cash price. 
most people have not discovered that yet. Most people go in to the doctor. The doctor says, you need a CT scan. You need an MRI. I need that in order to know what's going on. Here's your order. And they go over there and then they give their insurance card over to the imaging company and the imaging company will bill. And, you know, your copay ends up being a thousand dollars. The conversation never comes up. What if I just paid cash for this? So for everybody listening, that's that's what you need to do is pay cash for this. But for me, it's the advantage of having a a woman as a wife that was a nurse for 25 years that knows things like that, because I don't know that stuff. I didn't know that. I do now, but I didn't know. So those imaging companies, they 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 like doing cash business because if they can just collect cash at the time of sale, they don't have to invest all of the time and money and resources into coding that visit and sending it off to the insurance company, arguing back and forth with the insurance company, uh, going through collections to get the, the co-payment. They don't have to do any of that stuff because they've already been paid for it. So direct primary care, you know, most do- DPC docs have a relationship with one or more imaging companies around town. A lot of them have negotiated prices that are even lower than the public cash prices that they can get for their members. That is something that I, as a new doc in this town, I'm still working at pretty hard trying to form those relationships and make those negotiations happen. But it is an excellent way to get, DPC is an excellent way to get less expensive imaging through the currently existing imaging system just because of that relationship. They like doing cash business. And, and, and a lot of, more and more so, a lot of these companies are going to do that because they can just check out and not have to deal with the insurance system and the overhead and the frustration and the bill that you get three months later because they want another piece of you and just stuff that pops up out of nowhere. The same is true for labs. Actually, labs, I have a, a group purchasing contract with a lab company. And so what will happen is when I when I order labs, I will draw the blood here in my clinic, I send it over to the lab company, and they'll bill me directly. And they bill me wholesale prices that are already much lower through the group purchasing organization. And my patients will pay me only what it costs me. So I can get a whole a full blood panel, which your copay for I don't know what yours is, but my copay through uh, insurance would have been a hundred bucks or more. Uh, I can get that whole panel done, paid for, for 18 bucks. I mean, depending on what you need done, some no, of No, I get it, expensive. though. You're saying like a basic basic blood panel is 18 bucks, and I would pay 100 for it. That's, that's So a CBC, a CBC, you're going to get a CBC and a BMP. Those two together, that's, that's $8 right there. And then we add things more to it, thyroid or testosterone or whatever you might want to be looking at, what we decide. You're going to get to 18 bucks, 20 bucks. Maybe 50 bucks for the specialty stuff. But what I'm saying is it's way, way cheaper. This, it, it's a much better way to just step out of the system and work face to face directly with your doctor. I got you. I got you. Um, what about things like referrals? Um, you know, I come to you and, and maybe I need to see a dermatologist or something like that or you say this is this is some serious symptoms that you had. I really want you to talk to a cardiologist or something like that. How does that absolutely? Happen? So referrals, I, I absolutely like and refer to any specialist that you need. And again, that's a matter of forming relationships with the specialists here in town or your direct primary care doctor, wherever you're at, forming relationships. A lot of them already know all the specialists, and those specialists again 
uh, a lot of them are getting more and more so on the, the cash payment bandwagon where it's just a lot less headache to, for a patient to pay cash. So if I send you to a cardiologist, I'm going to have a relationship with that person and they're going to have a cash price list that I will hand you before I send you over there and you'll know what you're getting into. But now let me back up one step that before I even do that, the direct primary care model, because of the way it's structured, allows me as a family doctor to behave like a family doctor. I, a family doctor, I'm very broadly trained. I have a lot of experience. I mean, it wasn't that long ago where family doctors were doing gallbladder removals and I mean, doing lots of big stuff, lots of things. I can do a lot. I am very comfortable managing, you know, anything in diabetes, anything in hypertension, most cardiac issues, most lung issues, most of everything that you need. I'm probably not going to refer you until it gets to a point where I say, okay, this is out of my scope. And my scope is really quite broad. And, and that's true of a lot of direct primary care doctors, family doctors, internal medicine doctors. We have much broader scope than the public is used to us practicing because we've been working under a model that incentivizes us to refer immediately. Oh, you've got hypertension. You've got high blood pressure. I'm going to send you to a kidney doctor because I don't have time to talk to you and I don't have to dime to deal with this. Oh, you have diabetes. I'm going to send you to an endocrinologist because... I don't have time to really properly. Because it makes economic sense is the primary reason you're going to do it, right? It, it, it makes economic sense to do that. As a family doctor in the in the insurance-based world, it makes economic sense. Absolutely. I, I Absolutely. It makes a lot of sense to not spend a lot of time with this person because if I can pack 30 people into my schedule in the day, it's a whole lot easier to keep the lights on. No, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Um, but it, but in my world, in the direct primary care world, I'm incentivized to do the opposite. Like I said earlier, I would be I, I would take it personally or be embarrassed if you had ended up in the ER for something that I could legitimately manage here in my clinic. And I can manage a lot independently in this clinic before I say to you, look, we need to get you over the ER. Yeah, I've always found that interesting when they're like, well, we got to refer you for this or refer you for that or refer you for this. It just seems like an insurance shell game. Um, because I'm like, would you skip heart day at med school doc? Like you don't know anything about hearts. I mean, you know, isn't that like, frustrating? Yeah. Bypass surgery. I get that you want to refer me off to a good cardiothoracic surgeon. That, that makes sense. But like, you know, Oh, there's an issue here. Go, go talk to somebody else three weeks from now. Oh, and it could be serious. Right. Like that's, yeah, it. that's the other thing. Like, you know, Oh, you have diabetes. Yeah, get an appointment with the endocrinologist and you can start your insulin in six weeks while I'm damaging every capillary in my body for another six weeks. It doesn't make sense. I can tell you, yeah, you're, you're definitely a lot more turned on to this than a lot most, than most people are, but that is exactly how it goes. And, and as a doctor, I can tell you that is really unsatisfying. You can only do that for so long after having had all the training. And like you mentioned, all the frustration going through medical school and residency. I, I know how to do all this stuff. I just, I don't have the bandwidth to do it right now because I have somebody, I have two people waiting for me and a phone call waiting for me and I got to get out of this room. Yeah. I've, definitely had the, I've had the back end doctor, blah, 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 out experience, you know, multiple times, honestly. Yeah. Um, how do you, you've mentioned keeping people out of the ER. Can you talk about some of the ways that you're able to do that with DPC? Absolutely. So the first the first step is preventative medicine. Like I keep saying, a, a continuous open communication between the doctor and the patient where the doctor who is turned on and paying attention 
will be able to identify things before they get to the point of needing to go to the ER. Stuff happens though. So, so if you, uh, a photographer here in town that I know recently ended up having, uh, calling around trying to find an option because his wife had, uh, cut herself in the bathtub early in the morning and, uh, was trying to find somebody to deal with it. They had to go to the ER and pay, I don't even know what, how much, so much money just for a, for a laceration actually that I can easily deal with here in clinic. I have plenty of time to do it. I have everything that I need to do it. It's perfectly easy to numb you up and, and, and deal with that. No emergency room visit. Um, people that, you know, real there's all kinds that. of issues. Real quick on that. I've always found it interesting that you have to go to ER for something like, you know, cutting your hand or something instead of go to your doctor. And it wasn't that way not that long ago. Um, I remember being a kid and one time I was flipping some rocks over to catch some fiddler crabs for bait and I cut one of my fingers pretty deep and I needed stitches. We went to my family doctor and he took care of it immediately. There was no ER trip or something like that. That's it. That's it. Uh, and that's, again, just you can see that's because of the direction that medicine has gone. It, 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 made, it makes financial sense in the insurance industry and in the insurance world for the family doctor to not deal with that on the spot, but rather to get you out over to the emergency room where they're set up to deal with it quickly. And the family doc moves on to another patient, pack them in there, move them out, turn into a referral factory, basically. Uh, but it's, that's not doing anybody any good. Yeah, it seems pretty incestuous is what it seems like at this point. Like it's all about moving money around like in a shell game. Um, how do you help, though, if I do need to go to the ER, if I get admitted, if I have to go to the hospital and be admitted? Are, are you useful to me in that situation? Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of my favorite things to point out to folks as they come in. Uh, look, I, I have been in medicine for quite a while at this point. I've been in many different aspects of medicine in the corporate world. And I, I can, through your membership with this practice, be an asset to you all the way through your hospital stay. So in the emergency room, we can be on the phone talking about what's going on. The doctors are seeing this. Why don't you ask your doctor about something else? Why don't you ask him about this? Ask for that specific test. If you get admitted to the hospital, the same is true. So the doctor has identified that you have this issue going on. I, knowing you really well, know that this happened two or three years ago. Why don't you tell the doctor this happened and here's what we did and it really helped back then. I can be involved through that process and Again, having myself, my family, having had issues going through, you know, the interacting with the hospital system, the medical system as a patient, I know that it's scary, that it's confusing, it's baffling half the time, and it's very expensive if it's done incorrectly. And so I intend to make myself an asset to patients to help navigate through that process. And I think that could be really valuable because a lot of times you're in a hospital, you're dealing with somebody like a resident or something. The guy's working 18 hours a day, uh, six days a week, you know, or more. And he just wants to get done. He doesn't want to be told by a patient, Hey, doc, I think you're wrong on anything. They don't necessarily want to listen to, but having a patient advocate who is your, your primary care MD, you know, they know they're talking to somebody that's kind of on the same level intellectually with them, not some patient that's being kind of haywire or something. Or even if you're not talking directly to that doctor, being able to say, 
Well, I talked to my primary care MD about this, and he said that you should take a look at whatever. That that probably has a lot more weight having that kind of patient advocacy. I think it does, and having been on that side as a hospitalist in the hospital, I I genuinely appreciated it when I would hear from the primary docs who know that patient and say, hey, I know this guy, this happened, here's how we dealt with it last time. Man, it for one thing, it just made my life a whole lot easier, but it also just made patient care a lot more effective. So, yeah, I mean, I think it, I think that this model is a good thing for all sides. I certainly don't see any inpatient doctors having a problem with it. They'll probably appreciate it, and I know the patients do. Uh, I want to start taking some questions from folks that are in the live stream here. We've had a few. One that I've seen come up a couple times from people is what is the cost? Okay, good question. For a direct primary practice, direct primary care practice, they're different everywhere. Uh, my practice, so for my practice from the, from birth to the age of 17, my price is $25 a month. And I think that's a pretty common in the, in the general range. Usually I, well, I always ask for that a parent be signed up with that, with that child. And that's actually for legal reasons. Then from the age of, uh, 18 to the age of 40, I'm going to ask for $50 a month. And I think that's also a pretty common price range. And then, then it starts getting different. You've got from the age of 40 up to 64. So just before Medicare age, it's $75 a month. And really the needs start increasing as we get older. And, and so this is to reflect the fact that we're going to spend more time and do more in, in-house procedures and more in-house imaging. I've got a lot of testing that I do here in the clinic. So there's just more expense in that case. And then, and then a lot of, a lot of practices will enroll Medicare beneficiaries. In order for a doctor to do that, there's some legal things that have to happen on the, on the federal side that, uh, not all doctors do. I, I am planning on checking out of that system in the summer of 2022. And at that point, I'll be able to enroll Medicare folks as well. But at, at current, I don't do that. Gotcha. And one of the other things that we've had people asking is how do they find a direct primary care physician in their area? And specifically, where are you? We've said Florida, but Florida's a big place. So I'm in central Florida. I'm in Ocala, Florida. The way that a person would find a direct, there's direct primary care docs everywhere. Every mid to large city, even small cities have direct primary care. The best way to do it that I've found is go on Google. That's that's the primary place I'm advertising. Go on Google and, and type your city or your nearest town and direct primary care. Direct primary care is a tag, tag word that pops up. Uh, and all the practices that do what I do are including that in their search engine optimization. So it'll pop up. Gotcha. Um he, Tom says he was hoping you'd say South Florida, but like you were saying, there are, there are direct primary care people all over. When I was looking for your clinic for a link for today's show notes, I had them popping up all around me. They're, they're all over the place. Is there maybe, um, some questions that you might specifically suggest, uh, that someone basically making that choice because they, they probably have more than one they can pick from. Maybe some questions that, uh, you would advise someone to ask as a prospective patient and member in a DPC service? 
Yeah, a- absolutely. So just like human beings, just like businesses, uh, all doctors are different. Well, we are human beings. We're all different. We all have different strengths and weaknesses and different philosophies. I would say most folks that go into direct primary care are here for pretty specific reasons that are aligned with this audience. Uh, but there are differences. So, for example, there are direct primary care practices that will not accept you if you don't have the COVID vaccination. So you would want to ask, is that something that's an issue for you? My response to that, of course, is I don't even talk about that. It's not an issue. Come on over. No big deal. Uh, And I think that is true of most, but not all. Basically, if there are specific needs that a person needs, hey, hey, uh, do you do, I'll just throw examples out there. Do you do joint injections in your clinic? Because I have arthritis and I really want to have somebody that can frequently do joint injections in my knee or in my shoulder. Is that something you, that you can do? The answer for me is absolutely I do that. What sort of, what sort of in office testing do you do? Can you do pregnancy tests? Can you do flu tests? Can you do COVID tests? Can you do, uh, uh, an EKG? I, I do EKGs, I do ultrasounds here in my office. I can do a lot here. So ask them what their capabilities are. You know, that's a good point. Like, we're kind of spoiled because our primary care doctor, our daughter-in-law works for him, so we can get in like, you know, like that usually. But recently, you mentioned COVID testing. Like, you might think, I don't care about COVID testing. Well, I don't really care about COVID testing much either, except that we had a we had tickets to an Aaron Lewis concert, and nothing to do with Mr. Lewis, but... Uh, the venue had been purchased by a company out of California and they decided everybody that came to this concert had to have proof of either a vaccine or proof of a COVID test within 72 hours. We found out about that the morning of the concert because they changed the rules and it, you know, all of a sudden shows up on the website. We bought the tickets four months ago and these were good tickets. So we had some money into them. So the fact that we were able to rush in there, get a quick test and get out was very, very helpful. And I'm, I'm wondering, you know, how valuable that would be to have someone like yourself. Cause like we've already talked about how like I need to get a COVID test. Well, why? Well, because I want to go to a concert. Uh, you know, our, my, my wife's old doctor, I'm sure that would have been, well, we can do it next Tuesday. And, and that, that really doesn't help. That's it. Yep. In that case, you send a text over to the clinic and me, myself or my medical assistant. Yeah, absolutely. Come over. We'll run the test. You'll have it in 10 minutes. It's easy. So here's a question from the audience, Doc. As a DPC continues to grow, do you worry about government uh, and insurance companies stepping in and hammering or harming your practice in the DPC model through new regulations or regulatory capture? Well, the truth is, as a small business owner, I worry about about everything pretty much and, and the government changing their mind. However, DPC, direct primary care, is specifically called out in the Affordable Care Act as something that's allowed and in some ways actually encouraged. So even back when that when that was being put in place, this was there was some pretty heavy lobbying by the direct primary care groups to get that put in. And so it's in there. I guess if that were to just go completely away, I guess if the uh, you know, if political forces were to shift heavily and. I, I really don't see this model going away completely because both sides of the political divide like it. It's a good thing for everybody. And then we have from Roy, uh, how would one cover the cost of treating, testing, uh, surgeries for serious diseases like cancer, 
lung, breast cancer, et cetera. I think I can kind of help you out with that right off the bat. You're not saying to drop your insurance in doing this. This is an addition to insurance, but that's where the catastrophic would come in, right? That's exactly right. I am very much asking people, please don't drop your insurance. I am not a replacement for insurance. I'll cover 85% of your medical needs, but cancer and heavy surgeries, uh, you know, things that you need in the hospital, I, I cannot cover those. I'm a primary doctor. So you must have some sort of coverage for that. So what about um, using funds out of an HSA? If you have a qualifying HSA, can I pay your bill with my HSA funds? The frustrating answer to that is no. And there's some some really sticky government rules as to why that is the case. And there are some reasons for optimism that in the next couple of years that might actually change. But right now, the answer is no. If if it's this, though, let's say you you ordered a, a test that I wasn't going to do in-house. I went down to LabCorp and had some blood drawn. Would I be able to use my HSA to pay that bill? Yes, you can. You can use your HSA in every place that you would use it, even though I ordered the test. It would work just fine. It's thing you can't pay with your really the only thing you can't pay with your HSA is my my monthly membership, and that's that's a, a government rule. So, so are you saying that I would be able, like if you had to do some sort of a test and I had to pay extra for that, I could pay for that with my HSA even at your clinic. You could pay for that. Yes. Yeah. Actually, you could pay for the lab testing, the extra lab testing and the things that would normally be covered under your HSA. Yes. Good question. So are DPCs in general more willing to work with patients who prefer a more holistic approach to care for themselves and their children, uh, not adequately, automatically writing a script for everything? And this comes from uh, Karen. That's a, that's actually a great question, and I appreciate it because it leads me into some of the other alternative options that I provide here in my clinic. And I, I think direct primary care docs are often very proud of the alternatives that they offer. So the answer is yes. My, my own personal approach is I am really reluctant to write prescriptions for medications. I do not like long-term chronic medications. Of course, I do it, especially when it's appropriate, but I do not like doing it. So in my clinic, I do have a curated list of herbal medications herbals that I that I recommend that I personally use that I have used with patients and I have experience with. I also do acupuncture. I do a very specific type of acupuncture called AccuDetox, uh, following the NAD NADA NADA protocol. Uh, and I am very open to exploring new options. If a patient were to come to me and say, hey, I found this new option, what do you think? I would give an honest opinion. I'm very open to it. I certainly don't know everything. And and Western medicine, human beings don't know everything. There's plenty out there that we don't know. So let's learn together. And I would think that's also kind of an it depends question. I'm sure there's DPC physicians that are very by the book technically the, like they just believe in reading the synopsis of the study and taking everything at its will. And like any other doctor that you might go to, you're going to have individual variances difference. And that's where going back to the earlier question about what questions to ask would be, if that's important to you, then I would think that you'd want to have that discussion before signing up. Like, you know, if you're concerned with uh, availability of early treatment for the COVID, you might want to ask, you know, that what that doctor uh, feels about that, because, 
I don't feel we as patients have a right to tell a doctor the way they're supposed to practice medicine. That There's a reason they went to medical school and we can't just walk down to a pharmacy and start loading up on volume on our own, right? There's a reason for uh, these safeguards. But I also think that a patient has every right to know that doctor's philosophy of treatment and medicine before they choose to do business with them which is why I like this approach because I don't think it's very effective to get a book and it says here's the five doctors that are within 20 miles of you that take your insurance. I don't that's not a great way to pick a doctor but it's how most people end up having to do it right now. Well again, uh, the goal is to have a relationship with this person. The goal is to have a relationship with this doctor that you want to engage in. And so ideally this is somebody that shares similar philosophies with you and like I said earlier all doctors are different. All human beings are different. We all have a different approach to things. So, uh, you know, that first interview is a good thing for both you and the doctor. And most practices set it up the way I do, where you come in, sit down face to face. We'll talk. We'll talk about things that are important for you. And if you decide, no, this isn't for me, you walk out the door and there's no no payment, no expectations. See, and I think that puts the patient back in a position that they stopped having which is, you know, what doctor am I going to choose, right? And I think that's that's a good thing. I think it's a, it's a real problem that, again, I'm, you're down to I have this plan from Cigna Healthcare, and it says that, you know, the, and it, you look and there's like eight doctors in there that you supposedly can use. You call six of them, and they all go, we're not taking new patients on the Cigna, Cigna plan for whatever reason, right? They're full up or, or whatever. They need to balance their portfolio of insurance. Insurance companies, I guess, whatever it is. So then you end up with two and I got to pick one of them. And if I need to go in this week, I'm picking the one that'll take me where I think if you're proactive on this and you go and you have this discussion before you need something, then you have the ability to basically do what I do when I hire an employee. I don't, you know, I have somebody look, I need somebody to take a job and like somebody sends me a resume. I go, I'll take them right. Like I interview prospective employees and I pick the one I think is going to do the best job for me. I don't know that people get this. I think maybe entrepreneurs get it more than non-entrepreneurs. If I'm hiring you as my doctor, essentially I'm your contractor for me. And if I was going to have somebody build uh, my back deck out for me or something like that, I get two or three bids and I'm not just looking at price when I get bids. I'm talking to the guy. I want to know who his foreman is. I want to know, you know, what is his policy? What kind of people does he hire? I want to know all that because I'm going to have somebody sitting back here charging me 15, 20 grand. And they're going to be on my property for two weeks. And I, and when I say two weeks, I want it to be two. I don't want it to be four. So I'm going to make that analysis before I give somebody a contract. If I'm contracting with somebody to be my doctor, we should be on a similar wavelength. And uh, I think that makes a lot of sense, too. Now, you comment on that if you want to, but I'll also go ahead and get uh, Danielle's question. She's asking, do dentists do this? I'm like, I, don't, I don't know, but maybe. Yeah, they do. I, I, I think that there are a lot of professionals that are starting to see this work and seeing this just in general, our, our society is starting to have a whole lot more membership options with things. And I, I've seen a lot of dentists doing it. Probably not as many primary, probably not as many as primary docs, but it is a, it's definitely taking off. Well, and if people want to learn more about your clinic, where should they go? I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes, but if you want to tell them now and again, mention where you're at and uh, anything else you want to finish up with, the floor is yours, sir. Yeah, cool. Thank you. Well, again, Jack, thank you so much for having me on uh, to talk about this. Like you, like I said, I feel pretty passionate about it, and I really do appreciate the chance to talk to your community about it. I think it's something that would be helpful for all of us. 
and especially our community. So I, I am in Ocala, Florida. My company name is Agora Health Direct Primary Care. And my website is agorahealthdpc.com. So DPC is in direct primary care, agorahealthdpc.com. Anybody in the state of Florida that wants to get a hold of me, I can practice medicine anywhere. And like I said, uh, anywhere in the state of Florida. And like I said, my, my, my focus is very much telemedicine based. If you can get to Ocala and we can do a face to face every now and then, that would be the best. But I'm certainly happy to work with anybody and you can get a hold of me through my website. I have never been a social media kind of guy, but I'm starting to try to do that. And so you can reach me there on uh, on my website. You can get links to my social media accounts as well. But the best way is through my website by email or by calling the office and the numbers on the website. Well, I appreciate you being with us today. Uh, thanks for that. It's been a fantastic interview, and uh, I'm definitely Happy to have you back anytime you want to talk about uh, this subject or anything else in medicine. It's, it's you know, obviously when you're worried about survival, you're worried about health. And if you're not, you're, you're not really focused on survival the right way. So, again, thanks for being with us today. Thank you so much. It's been great. I, I really think this is something that more people need to explore. I'm actually putting together a presentation solving 10 major problems. I'm not going to tell you what that's for because that's a major announcement I'll be making on Friday. One or two of you out there are already aware of it. Most of you aren't. It's a pretty cool thing coming that that presentation is being developed for. But this is now getting wrapped into that presentation for solving one of the major problems that we have in the world today, which is dealing with medical care and the cost thereof. And finding a good doctor. So uh, this has been immensely helpful to me. Uh, as you could hear during the interview, I have a little bit more insight than the average person seems to into medicine as far as things like negotiated cash prices and stuff like that. Uh, but a DPC, non-insurance involved physician, really seems like the way to go. And I'll tell you... Um, I don't know how much cheaper I can make my insurance. I've, I've gotten the highest of everything I can. And when I do occasionally need a doctor, it doesn't ever cover anything anyway. It really doesn't. So, I mean, if I can end up at the same price and, and back where we're at with this, that would be great. Um, with that, let's go ahead and uh, remind you guys, if you like this show and the work that we do, you can always support us. A real simple way is to just do your online shopping at tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. You go there, you help support us no matter what you buy. I know you're spending money this time of year. We all are. We're all buying gifts and stuff like that. If you just start your shopping at tspaz.com, that would be really helpful uh, to supporting the work that we do here. And i got a great item of the day for you today. I ain't had it around for a while, but it's on sale again, and it's a great gift, and it's a great item, period. Um, it is the Secura... Uh, French press mug. It's a it's a stainless steel double wall insulated uh, French press. They make them in 34 ounce and 50 ounce. We actually ended up picking up a couple 50 ounce ones, uh, one for a, a, a travel uh, trip, and we have a 34 ounce one. So I got three of these. I say I own it, I buy it, or I wouldn't recommend it. I really mean it when it comes to this one. Uh, this was an upgrade from an earlier French press I used to recommend. It's better and it costs less and it's unbreakable because it's not made out of glass. Uh, it does a really good job, you know, in between pouring cups and keeping everything warm. And the 34 ounce version is on sale 35% off. It's like 23 bucks or 24 bucks today. It is a beautiful thing and it would make a beautiful gift. And they are in stock and they're shipping like same day. Uh, so you'll definitely be able to get it in time for Christmas. 
And back in stock is a little Mr. Coffee coffee and spice grinder. It's, they mark it as a coffee grinder. I call it coffee and spice grinder because I use as much to grind spices as I do coffee. That's in stock again, too. So if you really wanted to spoil somebody right now for about 40 bucks, you could get them a coffee grinder and a French press mug. And if you're MSB, you could even maybe pick up some Holler Roast or Food Forest Farms or Mai Tai Coffee to go along with that. I did this exact gift for my nephew last year. He's away at law school, and you know he's going to make a lot of money one day, but you ain't making it when you're in law school. You're spending it. And he loves really high-end coffees. And I think I sent him um, my, my uh, blonde bourbon blend from Nicole, uh, a bag of Brian's blend from Food Forest Farms, and a bag of uh, uh, the the chocolate from uh, uh, Mai Tai. Now, I don't know if you're going to spoil people that much. I mean, he's my nephew and all. But, I mean, he was really excited about it. He, he really was. And he says he uses it all the time. I think if you try a French press, you, you'll just start using it. You'll just start using it. It's it's just a great way to make coffee and tea, and I give away several of my tea recipes, and that's another gift idea. You can make up some of your own little jars of tea or something like that and give those away. Very, very affordable and thoughtful. So just some ideas there. Remember, you can always help us out by doing your online shopping at tspaz.com. You know, bookmark it on your phone or your on, on your computer, and then just remember to use it, and you'll help support us. Also consider becoming a member. Remember, first responders, um, police officers, uh, prior service military, active duty prior service, everything. That's paramedics, EMTs. All of you guys qualify for a service discount. If you want to become a member, just email me before, not after you join. TSPC in the subject line. Everybody else, the, the full price membership still deals 50 bucks a year. And there's some great discounts in there. I just ordered from Angie's Garden who's one of our newest uh, additions to the MSB. They do teas and CBD products and things like that. They were here at the workshop, and sometimes I have trouble sleeping. I just have trouble getting and staying to sleep. And I've used CBD for that, and it's been quite effective. My, my wife has that issue sometimes, too. And she talked to uh, one of the owners uh, of Angie's Garden, and he gave us a, a CBD product. It is expensive, okay? Uh, but it's CBD, and I think it's CBN or CBM. I don't remember which one it is, but it, it's the only one on there like that, and it's for sleep. Folks, good night, Irene, when you use that stuff. If you need a little bit of help getting to sleep, and, and I started doing some research on this other uh, cannabinoid that's in it, and it is more powerful than Valium without any of the negative associations from its sedative effect. You don't need to use a lot of it. So even though it's kind of expensive for a bottle of it, it's 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 not really expensive per dose, especially if you need help sleeping. And again, to me, getting asleep is never really that hard for me. It's staying asleep. Wake up four o'clock in the morning, and I'm I, I might as well get out of bed sometimes. Uh, this stuff has changed my sleep pattern for the better. I get that full, complete, long-term sleep with it, and it is like 150 bucks a bottle, and my discount would have almost covered the cost of membership just from that one purchase of that one bottle. So there's a lot of advantages to being an MSB member. A little bit long there, but I just you know, kind of want to remind you that. And MSB can be given as a gift. If you need to coordinate it some way or have, reach out to me by email, jackatthesurvivalpodcast.com, always TSPC in the subject line. And uh, 
and I will hook you up. I will help you give that uh, membership as a gift with maybe them not knowing it until the very end. I can I can make that work if you need to do that. All right. With that, let's go ahead and wrap things up with the song of the day. Again, I'm playing all music by a band called Five Times August. Um, these guys are great, and if you want to share their music, basically all their uploads on YouTube say download, re-upload, and share. Uh, they're not trying to hold their music tightly at all. They want it shared in every way possible. Uh, they are doing true art, and they're acting like artists, and they're protesting what's wrong through their art. I don't know what happened to the music industry, but with only a few exceptions, it just didn't a thing anymore. The music industry has become an industry of people that comply with everything government says. And that is that is so counter to what music's always been about. It's always been part of the independence and liberty and revolution mindset of youth. These guys are doing it right. This song is the first one I heard from them, and it really hit me watching the video, too. It's called Jesus, What Happened to Us. And even though it invokes Jesus, it's not really a religious song at all. It's like that exasperation, Jesus, comma, what happened to us. And it's about all of the nonsense that we've been going through since this entire COVID crap started. And it is impactful, and it actually hits the nail so on the head, it's even a little bit scary. And it sounds good, too. Um, I really recommend that you share uh, this band with your family and friends. It's a good way to let other people do the talking for you. With that, it's been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Watching it fall. That 
Jesus, what happened to us?